Hello, you're listening to A Little Bit of Largum, a podcast exploring a more connected and human approach to climate conversation. A space for questioning, learning and discovering the many ways a sense of balance can come to be. I thought I'd try and do a shorter introduction today, unlike the usual ramblings, but I'm going to save a few updates for at the end of this episode, also along with some suggestions of positive actions that you can maybe take this week or month or even today. So if you'd like to stick around after listening to our wonderful guest today, then you're more than welcome to do so and I hope that it can be helpful in some way as well. Also, apologies if you can hear any storminess in the background. Uh, We're currently in the midst of Storm Eunice, so if there's any background noise coming through, I do apologise for that. But as it's been quite a while since I've released a podcast episode, I wanted to grasp at a chance that I had to get this episode ready to be shared because today's guest is a truly wonderful person that I can't wait to share this conversation with you. So in today's episode, I'm going to be speaking with Rex Malapo, who is the co-founder of Conservation Music Lesotho, an organisation using the media of music to raise awareness about the climate crisis and to use it as an educational tool to share knowledge with community on environmental issues. I loved learning more about their work in this conversation as I always get really excited when I connect with other people who have a passion of connecting the arts within climate awareness and climate action. As well as sharing many insights into the amazing work of the organisation, Rex also shares wonderful advice on raising awareness and sharing information in a way that inspires action as opposed to apathy, and why the arts has such a power in awareness raising, education and cultivating meaningful action. We also discuss her experiences attending the Youth Pre-Cop back in September, and she analyses and shares in more depth the outcomes of these events as perceived on personal and more global scales. I hope that you enjoy this episode, and I'm so excited to follow how Rex's work continues to evolve, as there are so many awesome elements to her work, and how this is positively impacting on the people who are connecting through the projects. So let's jump straight into the conversation. So I'm super glad that we've kind of found the time to do this. I think the last time we chatted was when you were at or had just come back from like the youth pre-cop. So yeah, I'm sure we'll kind of touch on that later in the conversation as well. Yeah, that was like in September, but time flies. Oh my gosh. And now we actually spoke when I was at um, the pre-cop event and then things are super hectic for me then and I'm also glad that we actually do get time to to do this <laughs> finally yeah definitely so I think we'll just kind of jump straight into it um, and the first question is just quite an open one so it's just really an invitation for you to introduce yourself in whatever way you would like to it can be brief it can be in depth formal informal just how you feel you want to introduce yourself today so yes, uh, my name is Rekedito Mulapo. Um, people call me Rex. It's much easier. And I don't have to try and explain to people how they, they, they pronounce my name and all of that, So which is, which is great. So people can call me Rex. Um, I am co-founder of Conservation Music Lesotho. And I'm also a social entrepreneur. I have like a green startup on the side um, that I'm starting to build up. And I, I basically um, strongly believe in... In, in sustainable development and just ensuring that we play our part as human beings um, in terms of making our planet a better place. And so 
through conservation music, I'm I'm using like a medium of music or which is music to to raise awareness and just to basically um, educate people around environmental issues. So that's basically that about me and what I do professionally in a sense. And then I'm also a student. So I have a lot on my plate. <laughs> I'm doing my Bachelor of Science in Business Administration. And then I, um, I also love running. I'm a runner. And um, yeah, I'm a fitness enthusiast. And then I love reading books <laughs> and watching like science documentaries and sports. Yeah, like sports and science documentaries. So that's that's basically about me really as a person and, and what I do um, outside of what I do professionally. Yeah. Wow, amazing. You're like a super busy person. I don't know if you find this as well, because um, I'm a dance artist as well as doing like climate justice activism. And I find that like moving my body uh, is such like an, a cathartic way when you feel kind of very overwhelmed by things like just moving with your body just I don't know like for me I find that quite a cathartic thing uh, so I, I love that you have lots of passions for for like fitness and running and things like that too as well as all of the incredible work that you're doing yes yes I can totally relate so what I would love to ask now is what the motivation behind the creation of Conservation Music Lesotho was and yeah a little bit more about how it came into existence in the first place would be really awesome so like a few years ago, um, I met my colleagues at, at, at an event that they were doing here at home. So conservation music um, started in the, in the U.S. by a visionary, really, um, Alex, my, my co-founder. And he, um, he started this movement and he came down here to Africa on some other mission for, for a work placement that he was doing. And then he just fell in love with, with, with this place. Like mostly he was in the Southern African region. And so he decided that he's going to start this movement of people who are basically using music as an educational tool, specifically um, on environmental issues. And then I think a few years later, then that's when we met, when they had an event here locally. And then I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Because I think it also came at a point where I was looking for something that I don't know I'll just simply say I was going through like a transition basically because I was um, mostly in the entrepreneurial space and I was working for like this other small startup then but before I even met um, the guys like my colleagues I, I was already starting to introduce things around sustainability and was trying to get my company to to start a renewable energy arm so I was already excited about the space and sustainable development and had come to a realization that um, industrialization really contributed a lot to, to, to our environmental issues, the environmental issues that we have today. And when I met them, it, it was it was great because it was just like, oh my gosh, this is so, I don't know, it was meant to be, I, I think. And, 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 and I was excited about meeting them and I was like this is amazing I love what you guys are doing and they were also very much at foundational stage at a foundational stage and they also learned that I had a background in music because then I grew up basically singing from my church and I was like in a choir for many years and music had had, had been a big part of my life and I was also starting to pursue it in other different ways as, as I was getting older so when I met them to say, oh my gosh, these two 
these people are merging the two things that I feel so much passionate about. I, and I and I feel like this is the right time for me to actually use my voice for like a greater cause. And that was that. Um, sometimes I do tell people that I had bad experiences in, in the music space before I met, I met the guys. Um, but I think it's not so important. And in a sense, I had left the music thing. I was just focusing on, on business and, and working for the company that I was working for then where I was partner also. So fast forward to when I met them, we decided we're going to work together. And that's basically that. And I was like, this is the right thing for me to do. I would like to use my voice for like a greater course. And it's a course I'm sold to. So and environmental issues were not totally new to me. Um, like I said, I was starting to look in that space. And even earlier when I finished high school, we were trying to do something around starting a green club. So I was very much familiar with these issues. And then I was also part of a science club. So it, it was, I don't know, it was a combination of all of these many things, I think. And it just felt like the right move to make. And, and so we started working together. So that's a long story short. <laughs> yeah. And then that's how Conservation Music Lesotho, which is like then the chapter came about. And we, we, we started doing a bit of work between 2016 and 2017. And then we decided at some point that we're going to formally register it. And that's how it went. And then, yeah, we formally registered Conservation Music Lesotho. We did a project, like our first project, in, like in late 2017. And we formalized most things. So, yeah, that's how it came about, really. It's so great to hear that it was like your different passions and interests all kind of aligned um, in, the, in this work uh, so that you really felt like you could use all of those different skills and passions that you had uh, within this organisation. So that's really, really interesting to hear. So how, how long have you been with them? I think it's four years now, really. Yes, four years and a half, maybe like two, yeah, four to five years. <laughs> wow, so, awesome. yeah been a great experience I've been yeah I've been with conservation music um for a while now and you mentioned starting a first project back in 2017 yeah what was that project and like what other sorts of projects have you been sort of organizing and delivering so um the first project that we did uh was called um our music environment which was basically an eco concert that was meant to sensitize a community on, on, on sustainability and environmental issues. And what we did is, so this was a community that we'd worked with before, like even um, our visionary, like Alex, when he first came here, that's the first community he worked with. So they kind of became like um, a village that we work with to pilot most of our programs. And they, they, they supported us a lot. And, and most of our musicians then came from that um, village then. So this this was this the village is called Malialia and it's in the Mafitin district, which is another district besides where I stay um, here in Lesotho. And so what we did is we went on to go into the community and we we, we conducted pre-surveys, basically to just assess where people are in terms of environmental knowledge and yeah what their take on sustainability issues are and then after we did that pre-survey so we we basically mobilized volunteers because we were still very like young then we mobilized volunteers and we still very much depend on volunteers even today as an organization because I still I still think we're at startup level basically 
And so we mobilized these volunteers and they went out in the village and yeah, we surveyed people, like about 200 people. And um, they were asked different kinds of questions about environmental issues, about their community and all of that. And then we came back to assess um, all of the, the data that we've co- we had collected and to, to just see where the gaps are. We identified the gaps and we, we then decided to do like an eco concert that was going to fill those gaps in a sense. So that's, that's basically what we did. And then we also mobilized other local artists um, and we did some form of a training with them on, on, we have like what we call a music toolkit, um, a conservation music toolkit. And it has different environmental topics. And, 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 and we went through that with them to help them create um, lyrical content that was um, still very much in line with environmental education and ensuring that we're going to achieve our goal, basically, which is to sensitize and create awareness. And after that, I think about 10 songs, actually, yeah, 10 eco songs were created. Then we went out and performed those songs out in the village. And what we did is after, after that performance, then there was like exit service done to basically assess what people had learned from all these songs and all of that. So we had, we had a big stage somewhere out in like a village in the mountains. So such as very Montana's and this, this is a remote village. So we set up like a big stage there and we did this great performance with a backdrop of like the mountains in the back. It was really beautiful and amazing. And the community was excited and they were very participatory and, yeah, so that's that's what we did. It was called our musical environment, one of our first eco concerts that we ever did, and with the aim of basically um, sensitizing that particular community on environmental issues as per the needs. So what we're trying to do most times is to make sure that our interventions are effective, and that's why we're always trying to incorporate the the issue of monitoring and evaluation, impact measurement, because it's very important to us to see how effective our our interventions are. And then this particular project was funded by National Geographic in partnership with other local funders whom we had mobilized after we had gotten the the, the funding from National Geographic. Uh, So it it was quite great. And it was basically centered around assessing how effective music is as an educational tool, specifically on environmental issues. That was our first project. Wow, that sounds so incredible. And I definitely agree, like finding a way to get a gauge on on how the work that you're doing is impacting people in the community is a really important thing to, to know how to further develop your work moving forwards in a way that really does benefit raising this kind of awareness and engaging people in climate education and, and climate action. So I'd love to hear a little bit about how you have found music to have an influence um, in these areas of environmental awareness within the communities that you have worked with. Definitely at this point, I'm sold to, to, to using music as, as an educational tool for, for many reasons, really. One, because it's, it's quite um, inclusive. I always say this. I think all artistic forms are quite inclusive because then most people can participate um, 
in 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 such things and i i also saw how effective music was in terms of demystifying some climate change topics basically it's true we were we we had incorporated other environmental issues in 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 all of this but we definitely were focusing on climate change also because it's it's one of the biggest issues that Lesotho is currently facing on top of soil erosion so I've seen how effective it is really on the ground, seeing how people engage and how it draws people's attention. And then what we also do is we do like some form of activations where we would work together with the community members, some of the community members to co-create these songs and where we're, we're just working together with them and then they get to learn more. And then we also get to learn more about their um, context specific issues basically regarding these environmental issues so i've seen it to be quite effective it also has um a lasting impact and i was telling somebody that like growing up myself as an african child we've used music and storytelling as a as 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 part of transferring knowledge from one generation to another, what I guess people would call like oral tradition. We have this oral tradition. Um, That's a huge part of our culture and heritage. And by using music within the Lesotho's context is still very much aligned with that because then people can relate so well to it. Most things that I've learned, I've learned through music really. And music is widely used to educate. It's just that it hasn't really been um, incorporated in the curriculum just yet, which is something that, which is another project that I'll tell you about that we did. Um, we were trying to get um, music as, as part of like our curriculum here at home and, and making sure that the Ministry of Education, like the Education Department works with us to incorporate that to ensure that students can learn better. So I've seen it. It's quite an effective tool. It's quite an effective educational tool because of its lasting impact. There's scientific proof for that to show how music um, works on our brains and how it has that lasting impact, um, how it's easy to remember some of the things that you've learned through music, as opposed to like the conventional way of, of learning. And then also how inclusive it is in terms of, because we work with different types of people in the community. We have the learned, we have the illiterate people, we have uh, head boys, we have farmers. So we wanted to to use a medium that was inclusive and and not uh, exclusive because I think conventional workshops sometimes um, tend to to, to exclude people who are not literate or, or, or who haven't really gone to school or who can't even read or write. So that's that our aim was to make sure that everybody is part of this conversation because this issue affects all of us. Like environmental issues in general affects all of us. And then obviously like climate change affects all of us. So how do we demystify this by using a medium that most people can relate to? And then how do we ensure young people participate by using a medium that draws them into this? They're like, what is this about? They love music. And then they're learning at the same time while they're doing something they enjoy. So it's, according to me, it's quite an effective tool for the reasons that I've just mentioned. And that's what my work in the past few years has proven, basically. So, yeah. Yeah, amazing. I I definitely agree when it comes to art forms and storytelling and music being a part of that. 
they are such incredible avenues to engage people in these conversations in a much more accessible way. And I think that, yeah, more storytelling is so much needed within environmental spaces because it's it's proven again and again just how powerful it is um, and engaging people in art forms that they're passionate about just it, it opens up a gateway that I think then makes that information disseminate so much better. And I was even just thinking about it then when you were talking about kind of education and the way we learn. I remember when I was in primary school, you would learn songs that would teach you like body parts, for example, and things like that. And it was, you, you know, I still remember them to this day and I'm sure so many people do. And it's just so sad to think that as soon as, as soon as it gets to a certain point in your education, it's assumed that that's not a useful way to learn anymore. Whereas actually, I think for so many people, including myself, I think learning through those kind of art forms is is such a powerful way to learn. It definitely is. And it is said, hey, that when we get to certain levels, then that is abundant. That approach is abundant. I don't know why, but that's also what we're then trying to, to bring back <laughs> through our initiative and yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing how everything else is going to unfold and how incorporating um, the creative sector in the climate sector is, is what kind of change it's going to do. I know that in, in some places already, yes, people are already using it, but I don't know. I, I just feel like there's more that can really be done in terms of taking advantage of this particular approach. And like you're saying, it, it once you learn through music, it sticks with you until you're like older. I still remember the songs that I learned in primary school about different topics. So you're very right on that point. And I'm so excited to see where your work develops from here. Um, yeah, I think it's going to do such wonderful things for the sector and to engage communities in these issues, which really do, like you said, they're affecting everyone and they are incredibly urgent. So it's yeah, wonderful that you're doing this work. And next, I would really love to ask if you want to share any sort of resonant experiences, whether that's community responses or conversations that you've had or actions that have arisen that have yeah, stuck with you from your time of working. I, I think two things. One is, is the artists. So the artists that we work with, most of them, they're very gifted, yes, and they're creative, but, but they, they, they are not necessarily like um, environmentally savvy or they are not necessarily like educated in that particular space. And so I think for them, it's been quite refreshing to, to learn about these issues while they're also expressing themselves. And then they take a lot of ownership of, of these issues because then they feel like, yes, they're part of it and they are proud of the work that they have created that creates this sensitization and awareness. And because they also hear about these issues um, elsewhere, and then they and and they get excited to say, oh, like I've worked on something um, along these lines and in this particular way. So I think for me, that's that's one of the highlights to see the change in their attitudes as artists, and then seeing how they can also use their voices, their art, and their creativity to, to for social issues and and to to build awareness for important causes. And then secondly, it's the communities, really. People tell lots of good stories. The students whom we worked with, 
on a project sometime in 2019, they were they were excited about what we were doing. And they said they learned so much through this particular approach and they enjoy it and they would like to learn like this going forward. So this is this is another project that we did. I'm just gonna quickly highlight you what we did. We went out to like about 10 different schools in rural and peri-urban areas here in Lesotho. And then, um, which was like primary schools and high schools. And we focused on two issues that are affecting Lesotho the most, which is like um, soil erosion and and climate change. And then we played um, some music videos, like some of the content that we have created as conservation music, which you can see when you go online or on our YouTube channel. And what then we did, we used them to spark conversation with the students about these particular issues that some of them were already learning in their schools and they were in the curriculum, but they were not necessarily um, fully understanding or they didn't take them with with that much seriousness, I, I guess. And so when we came and had conversations with them, they understood the concepts better and then they were excited about the approach. And they were telling us that we we feel like this is the best way to learn about these issues. It's so exciting, it's not boring. And we also get to to create because we also co-created songs with them afterwards as based on what they were learning. Seeing how elated the students were and what the other feedback that we got from the teachers to say, oh wow. This is this is a great way of delivering this um, form of yeah learning about environmental issues about EE which is what is called which is environmental education. I guess those are some of my highlights. And then going back to the communities where you find people remembering us when they see us, um, I, either when we're going to do like post surveys or whatever follow up projects, um, and they would get excited and they're like, "Yeah, yeah, we remember you guys." And you know, my daughter started a keyhole garden because she learned about that and some of your songs. I can go show you at the house, and so those are some of the great stories that we hear from the people whom we've worked with. And to hear that people are really um, trying to implement some of the things that they've been learning about, it's, it's quite exciting. And, and how people really appreciate the, the music part because it's part of identity as African people, like I said earlier, and it's part of who we are, it's part of our heritage. And using it is just since so right and, and it works well with people and people receive it so well. So th- those are some of the highlights, the feedback from the students and the villagers whom we've worked with and even the artists that we've worked with. Incredible. Thank you for sharing those highlights. I think it's so wonderful to hear about the positive impacts of environmental work that is happening um, because I think it really aspires more people to, to recognise that what we do really does make a difference. And it seems like there's so many ripple effects already that have come from the work that you've done. Um, I just wanted to quickly ask as well, is there like a specific age range of people that you've worked with? I know you mentioned students, for example, when you go into schools or colleges, but I imagine you probably engage with quite a lot of different age ranges in the community as well. And whether there's been any kind of intergenerational work and what that experience might have been like. There definitely has been um, an intergenerational work, and we we work with uh, quite a, a yeah like a diverse group. We work with like young people from ages five, from ages five up until like eighty, because we've heard like even our surveys reveal that we've heard like an eighty year old surveyed basically, and um, a seventy year old 
came to one of our eco concerts or like a 60 year old. So I, I would safely say like our age range is really from ages five up until like 80 as the oldest person. I think we've had participated in, in one of our programs. There has been an intergenerational work that has happened where we would have like young people um, sitting with the elderly and then kind of having conversations with them because when we, we do even community screenings we have that diverse group it's a mix and then you have young people answering questions or engaging to like the elderly engaging and sometimes the elderly even telling us stories of how things used to be maybe in the past um, and what has changed now we we, we have that broad range um, so obviously when we go to schools we'll be focusing mostly on on ages like um eight to maybe 20 if we're going to primary schools and high schools uh, and then when we go out to communities that's when we have like a very diverse group so that's that's how it's really gone but we're catering for almost like a very broad um age range yeah that's really great I think like intergenerational conversations and relationships are so so important it's really great that your work does that and you mentioned again about the eco concerts and this is just another quick question that has sparked my kind of intrigue as well as obviously the music being created having a very environmental focus what is the process like of uh, creating the festival or the concert in the first place in a way that can be more sustainable moving forwards so your question is very interesting because we were looking at the eco concerts and the musical workshops that we pretty much conduct and and we're thinking how do we ensure that this still continues beyond us being present in, in those areas because i guess then it speaks to the sustainability element in this in this sense not necessarily sustainability in terms of environmental issues but how we ensure that our program's last longer and they, they they continue even in our absence so the one thing that we're trying to do right at the moment is we're trying to get an app up which then we're going to use mostly for schools where we're going to have the teachers trained on how they can basically deliver environmental education using our apps and not apps our app and then touching on the different environmental topics that will be on that particular app. So we wanted to do that because we wanted to ensure that we're able to scale and have like a bigger impact. This means that we can be able to get into many schools if we have an app and then we're able to secure tablets for some of these schools. And then secondly, to work with the Minister of Education to ensure that teachers are trained on, on delivering this um, education through our approach basically and it would enable us not to 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 have the need to be present at every other school or like travel a lot and even with the COVID challenge we realized that oh my gosh we really need that app to start running um, because then it would mean that students can still continue to be educated, even if maybe we're restricted in terms of movement, because sometimes schools were opened and allowed to continue. But uh, some of our programming was a bit restricted and we couldn't really get into the schools because of COVID at the moment. We, we love to do eco-concerts, but we wanted to do like 
maybe like two major ones per year, not to do it like continuously, continuously, but have like two major ones where we can have people gather up and then we we spark conversations and we engage on these issues and um, have more artists come up. But at the same time, we were thinking having an app would enable this to go beyond us, to go beyond our geographic location as the CMLS team, basically. So yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's that's how we're trying to do. Yeah, that's what we're exploring at the moment. Yeah, that's really interesting to hear about. And I think when you were speaking about almost like empowering the teachers in a way through knowledge to then pass that on, I think is really wonderful. Mm-hmm. It's really cool that you're setting off an app. I'm a bit of a technophobe <laughs> in a way. So I, I love when I can hear examples of technology being used in a really positive way. Do you imagine that it would kind of strengthen relationships with community groups that you'd already worked with or putting them out to people that you hadn't engaged with before? Because I think obviously the human interaction is so important, but the app allows such an incredible way to yeah to continue those relationships moving forwards I I think the app is going to be most effective for the school setting but in terms of like the communities which is something that I didn't mention is that we're also exploring like having CMLS ambassadors people in the communities that already local people right that we can also train or empower with resources and knowledge about these environmental issues. And then they can continue to do some form of activations in their villages, even when we are not around as the team. And they would basically be communicating with us to say, oh, this is what I've done in the past whatever months. So those are some of the other things that we're exploring to have ambassadors in these villages. With Malealea, which is this place where we've piloted our projects, It's quite easy because we have a close partnership with a local community organization there called um, the Malala Development Trust. The people in that organization have worked so well with us in terms of ensuring that this continuity of the knowledge and, and, and the education And they sometimes incorporate um, some of our concepts in the programs that they're already running there. And we know we can always rely on them for information and for, and just to basically get a tab, I don't know, like on what is happening in the community now and all of that. So I think that's another important thing. And that's the model we're trying to go for in all the other communities that we're going to be working with. Because then I think I'm adding four more communities this this year. We we are looking to set up a local organization there, which we can work together with to ensure that this continuity, even when we are not around as the as the CMLS team, and then coming back maybe at regular intervals, and then slowly moving away and and making sure that they go on to continue whatever work in in, in their community because I think localization is very important and that's the model we've really pretty much used even when we moved into the other African countries like when we tried to move to Tanzania to Zambia and to Malawi like Malawi that's where we've done most work also and what we've always tried to do is to use localization to say let the people from there be the ones who are championing this and let them empower them with the resources and the tools they need to work on the relevant issues in their communities, basically. Because even if we're in the same country as Lesotho, the issues in north of Lesotho are not the same issues as 
like south of Lesotho, which is also the case even with the other countries. The, the environmental issues they're facing in Malawi are not the same environmental issues um, we are facing here in Lesotho. So we've we've tried to use um, that localization model to ensure that um, this continues beyond us being physically present. That's that's how we're also looking at, at doing it using the app and also uh, conservation music Lesotho ambassadors. Thank you so much for all of that insight. And yeah, I'm really actually looking forward to seeing how all of this is implemented moving forward. It sounds like you've got so many exciting things um, to really develop and extend the positive impact that the work is having. Uh, And based on that, I really wanted to ask, uh, because a lot of the work you're doing, it seems to really be inspiring action and change in communities in a really positive way. So I was wondering if you had any advice on raising awareness and sharing information in a way that really does inspire positive action, as opposed to sometimes people feeling overwhelmed or very apathetic. And yeah, just if you had any thoughts or reflections around that. It's quite interesting. <laughs> I think using art is, is very important. And I think, yes, I've, I've clearly become like a big advocate of um, incorporating creativity in, in the solutions that we, we come up with. Because I think art kind, kind of simplifies the problem. And then it also is a bit fun most most times and it's not so dark in terms of then also inducing climate anxiety or like people thinking oh my gosh the situation is so hopeless so I think incorporating art is is important in, in trying to ensure that we're inspiring action in a motivating way because then in our case music uh, music is moving and even though it can invoke like maybe sadness or whatever sometimes it's sadness that really moves you to try and do something right so that's what we're we're really exploring through our initiative and I think I would advise people to really go for for that kind of approach an easy approach that doesn't scare people that yeah that doesn't really make people think oh my gosh we're all gonna die oh my gosh like it's just where we're waiting for doomsday and and that's basically that or this whole situation looks all gloomy and everything but there's something that we can do so it's important how we coin the messaging that we're doing and the types of stories that we're telling and most of our stories are really centered around the stories that we do through music are pretty much centered around yes identifying the problem and saying something about the problem but mostly talking about what then you can do. So I would advise people to, to, to try different approaches like using the music approach or incorporating art and then having a conversation about these sad situations in a, in a, in a light way, basically. And, and, and that's much more encouraging. And also try and throw in the solutions in there and not just talk about the problem without the solutions to say there's something we can do, hey, no matter how dire the situation is, there's definitely something we, we can do. Uh, that's, that's literally my only advice to people to say, maybe you should look at unconventional approaches instead of maybe the conventional ones that have been used in the past. In the past, uh, they've been used in the past, but they haven't really been so effective. So I think it's time for us to employ different um, and creative approaches. To the, to the current problems that we're faced with and climate change being one of the biggest ones. Yeah. 
Yeah, I definitely agree. I'm also a huge advocate for creativity in the arts within kind of climate action and awareness. And I agree so much with what you say. And yeah, I just really feel as well, like music has such like a visceral response and whether that's positive or negative because it's really connecting like I don't know there's something about music that really like connects people and I think then you already kind of feel less alone in whatever you're facing and and yeah I think what you're saying as well about partnering the education with here's something you can actually do uh, leaves people feeling in a, in a position where they can do something rather than feeling overwhelmed so yeah thank you so much for sharing all of that I absolutely love that answer so before we jump on to talking about something a little bit different, um, if people want to find out more about your work, where can they find you and a bit about the work that you do? So uh, people can find more about our work at um, our website, which is www.conservationmusic.org. Um, that's where they can find more information about us. And then on Twitter, Music for Earth and on Instagram, even on Facebook. We're most active on Facebook at the moment. But yeah, with the past two years being quite challenging and everything, we've been doing a lot of um, foundational work and changing a lot of things so that preparing ourselves for like a, a period that's maybe post this pandemic. Um, and so we haven't really been so, so active on, on the social on our social media pages, but you can definitely find more of our work there and then more of what we do even on our website. Even on YouTube, you can check us out. If you just type in conservation music, you'll find more information about, about our work, where we've worked um, and the artists that we've worked with and, yeah, the, uh, the types of programs that we run. And then with me personally, I've separated myself from <laughs> the, the initiative in a sense. I have my own like social media life <laughs> outside of what I do through my work. And so, yeah, I, I am at Rex Metzana. People can find me on Instagram and on Facebook, or even sometimes when they just type my name, it's, it's, they will find more about me there. So, yeah, where I share my personal thoughts and not necessarily just influenced a lot about the work that I do. So, yeah. Perfect. Thank you. And I'll be sure to put all of those in the show notes. Um, but Thank now you. to just, no, no problem. And now to just jump to something a little bit different. We mentioned briefly at the beginning how last time we chatted was when you were at the youth pre-cop. So I was just wondering how this experience was for you. Um, so if there were any kind of sort of pivotal moments in that that you wanted to talk a little bit about, I uh, just wanted to give you the opportunity to, to do so. I thought the, the experience was quite positive for me, but I've been to so many, I don't know if I should even be saying this <laughs> out like on, on a public platform like this, but I've been to so many, um, I've been to so many conferences before and, and really I, I just feel like sometimes people are looking for an excuse to really meet and never come up with any tangible steps for action or whatever post whatever conference that is and I was really hoping that this this was going to be different and to some degree it was because then yes we did the aim for us to 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 really go there was for us to come up with this youth declaration and making sure that um youth voices from almost every part of the world is represented so that this particular youth declaration can be presented at the 
at, at COP26 and where most people were not necessarily happy about the, the outcome of, of COP26 because people just felt like it was yet another conference really with, without much tangible like steps um, for, for action post, posted. But uh, having gone to, to Youth Driving Ambition, I think it was, it was good. It was good for me to participate in such a process because I, I've done a lot of grassroots work in the past and I've been looking for ways to also have an influence maybe like in the policymaking space and 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 the advocacy space basically and i think for me it served me personally as a person <laughs> personally as a person i don't, i can't believe i said that but it served me personally because i, I it it was more of um what will i call it maybe a prelude or more like training ground for me to to have that kind of experience of what actually goes on at these particular processes where like people like the way we're doing the negotiation process and influencing policies to some degree so that's how it personally served me really and I thought this was great on top of that yes meeting other change makers in the space um, who are doing amazing work and how I'm planning to collaborate with some of uh, those other young people whom I met at, at that place. So those are the ways it served me, really. But on a bigger, like on a macro level, I'm not sure if really um, the outcome of the event was was so positive, mainly because of how then, mainly because of the, of, of, of the outcome of COP26. I don't know if I'm making sense, but... That's basically that. And the one other big thing for me that I kept coming across um, was how we we do not necessarily have a unified voice as young people. I don't know. Um, and and people might, yeah, might get some sort of backlash for saying this, but I think it's true. We have youth for climate, like which which was us. Here we were at this pre-COP event, right? And then we have other young people who are part of Yango and um, who had their own meeting, which was just right before COP. And they had their own, yeah, which is COI. That's COI, right? Conference of the Youth, right? They had their own document that they were creating. And then we had our own document that we were creating the site. And I kept asking, I kept asking, and I remember in one of the meetings that we had with Youth for Climate to say, how do we ensure that we have a unified youth voice on these issues? Um, how, how do we ensure that there's no duplication of effort and whatever issues that we're raising here as Youth for Climate, um, see if we have any common issues in, in, in the statements that we're creating with the, 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 the statement that COYO was creating. So I didn't really get a very good response on that, but I, I just decided it's fine. But I think I, I really hope that going forward, we can have a unified youth voice. And these many other bodies that are working on youth um, climate issues can come together and become one to ensure that we have a much um, bigger voice that will have a greater impact and that will ensure that we're not all working in silos or there's no duplication of efforts in a sense. And so that's just what I got from all of that process um, that we were engaging in it at the Youth Driving Ambition event and 
also Koi coming afterwards and then leading up to COP26. Those are my thoughts, basically. I, th- I, I felt like the, the experience saved me personally in terms of the goals that I have and the, the types of networks that I wanted to build. And that's what I made sure I got out of it. But coming back home also, it, it served a certain purpose. So we had Koi representatives here. And when I came back, I said, I would like to work with the Koi representatives. And that's what we did. We organized a climate, a youth climate dialogue um, a first one for Lesotho, really. Um, and then we we worked together to strengthen that because they already had the idea to do it. And then we strengthened it. And we also met our prime minister to basically have a conversation with him to say, how do we ensure that there's meaningful youth participation in the climate um, um, space in, with regards to Lesotho and also even in the negotiation process. So those are the things we're currently working on at the moment. And because it's so new for young people to be entering this particular space in Lesotho, we're doing a lot of groundbreaking work and we're going to meet, now that the year has begun, we're going to meet with, our National Climate Change Committee. And then we're also going to meet with our Prime Minister again now post COP26 to say how, how what's next? How do we go forward together? Participating in, in the YFOS event served me in a personal way, if, if I'll say that. And in a sense, helping me to have some form of impact here on the ground in my home country. Because then when people ask you, um, which organizations have you worked with, global ones. And so we tell them we're youth for climate representatives. We participated in this particular. So people pay much more attention to us and we're able to engage in a meaningful way with them. So, yeah. Thank you so much for that. And I love the phrase that you used about meaningful youth participation, because from what you shared um, from youth activists, I know that also either attended the youth pre-COP or COP26, that it almost felt quite often that youth were there and almost just there for the sake of being there. And maybe they, like you were saying, had very personal beneficial things come out of that from things that they learned from the processes but perhaps didn't feel like they actually could have much of an impact on anything that was happening on a more governmental level and yeah I also share a lot of the frustrations with what actually came out from COP26 in terms of climate action moving forwards which I think is is very openly been talked about as not being anywhere near enough what is needed to prevent even further catastrophic impacts of the climate crisis. But yeah, it seems very much like what you were saying, a meaningful youth participation is something that's really needed and a collective one as well. So yeah, thank you so much for your insights. Exactly. Yes. You, you just like wrapped it up very beautifully because yeah. Well, hopefully now onto something a little bit lighter and fun before we come to the end of the podcast um I found out that you were part of a hikers club and I just thought that this sounded super awesome so I was just curious to ask what led you to join and what your experiences were like um when you were with the club or if you still are so uh, being part of a hikers club is is really a part of my active lifestyle like I said I love to run yeah I mentioned I'm a runner and then so I also love just doing like, yeah, adventure um, activities and being in the outdoors, basically. And this came about because a group of people who were friends and who had the same interests just decided we should actually start doing this hiking thing. 
And that's how we formed our hiking club. And we started doing different hikes to different places in the country. We did it more now during the pandemic because then we couldn't really travel outside of the country. And it was also part of us just exploring our local environment, which most people hardly do. I think I was one of those people where you you travel so much outside of your home country uh, instead of like trying to see what you have locally. And that's part of why we then even formed the, the hiking club. And it's been so much fun and it's changed my perspective on my home country and um, just discovering these beautiful gems that were like, basically hidden in plain sight. They've been here and I hadn't really gone to them. Why not? So yeah, that also came about as, as a result of this pandemic, which was a positive thing that came out of it, I guess. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I think exploring your locality is is a beautiful thing to do. And you really do, like you were saying, discover these like hidden gems that you maybe never even knew were there. Um, so I'm really glad to hear that's been such a positive experience. Oh, I'm so glad to hear about that. Um, such a lovely thing yeah. to do okay so on to the mm-hmm. final question uh, which I always ask at the end of the podcast which is how you find your little bit of lagom so lagom is a Swedish concept and it roughly translates to not too little not too much so it really is about finding that like sense of balance and I'd always love to hear uh, how the people I speak with find theirs so it'd be lovely to hear how you find yours well, it's, it's quite an interesting question. I don't even know if I'm really at a point where I've really struck um, balance in terms of everything else that I'm doing. But I'm definitely at a point where I'm, I'm exploring that and I'm working towards um, ensuring that I do have um, I do find balance in, in all of my work because, like I said earlier, I'm doing so many things. I'm studying, I'm working, and I'm also participating in these other activities I told you about. So I I think the one big thing that's come up for me in the past two years of researching, basically, because I feel like that's what the pandemic actually gave us a chance to do, to like take a breather and just identify the most important things. And that's when I also came across the, the concept of essentialism, which is basically about focusing on the essential things about life and ensuring that you live an effortless life. And like I said, I'm not yet there. I'm not there yet, but it's something that I'm currently exploring to say what's essential, Rex, what's more important and what is the, what, what, what is the, your priority, not priorities, but priority at this point in your life. And, and I've found that helps me a lot to, to balance and to take care of the important things besides trying to do everything else all at once and then um, risking even burnout because there were times when I was at that point and, and just going and going and going and it, it it didn't have like a positive effect on me. So generally I've just been exploring that concept of essentialism and really trying to incorporate it into my life. And I think it's bringing some form of balance and also just making sure that self-care is a big part of what I do. It's, it's a big part of my routine, basically, to say what's most important to you, Rex, how do you take care of yourself and not treating it as a by-the-way thing, but being very intentional about it. So that's basically where I am. Um, I'm not too sure if 
it really does answer the the con- like answer what Myla Gomez. But yeah, that's that's what I am right now as a person and just moving into a space of uh, more self awareness and also being aware of my um, external environment and ensuring that I keep some form of balance um, with 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 everything that's going on in my life. Wow, I think that was such a profound, beautiful and introspective answer. Uh, and yeah, definitely answered it in a really beautiful way. I think a balance is something that I think we're all, all like always trying to explore how to how to navigate um, and the sort of self-awareness and reflections you're doing and what's necessary is, is a really important thing. I think we all need to be checking in with more. So thank you so much for sharing that. Yes, indeed. <laughs> and I think focus also is another part of it. And as women, I just want to add this, I'm sorry, but as women, I feel like we're, we're trying to do everything else to, 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 to try and prove ourselves. Or maybe this is not the case for other women from other parts of the world. But in my case, I feel like, yeah, uh, we can get trapped in into this whole concept of trying to say we can do it all i can i can have it all and 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 everything but in most cases you realize that some other aspects of your life do suffer because then you're trying to juggle so many 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 things all at once and which is why then essentialism is very important so yeah yeah and i think it also has a lot of focus in it to say focus focus <laughs> On the most important things, I guess, and will you? It will help you to uh, meet your balance goals much more better. Um, yeah, definitely. Oh, well, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation. It's been so insightful in so many ways. Um, so thank you so much. I'm so glad that we found the time to do this. Thanks to you. Thanks to you. I look forward to listening to this conversation. And yeah, thanks to you, Mala, for just um, interviewing me and making me part of your journey. You're also on the creative, creatives and arts bandwagon, which is amazing. <laughs> um, but specifically using it for um, climate action and, and, and raising climate awareness. So I'm, I'm so happy and I'm grateful and honoured to have had this time with you. Oh, the honour is all mine. Thank you so, so much. I feel so grateful to have been a part of this conversation and I can't thank Rex enough for taking the time to have this chat with me. I hope that this episode inspired you to take action in your community if you haven't already done so, or perhaps consider how it may be possible to incorporate arts within your activities if you're curious to do so. If you'd like to find out more about the work Conservation Music Lesotho are doing, you can find all the links in the episode notes, as well as links to Rex's personal social media so you can follow along with what she's getting up to. Before ending this episode, as promised, I just wanted to share a few actionable things that you're likely already doing, but I think it's always nice to have a few suggestions of things that maybe are seemingly small changes we can make with a big impact. Of course, when it comes to the climate crisis and social injustices, these are systemic issues that need to be changed fundamentally on a societal level. But we as individuals all form a part of that society. So rather than placing solely the whole responsibility on ourselves as individuals, 
I think you can get a sense of empowerment in the changes that you can make that can filter up to systemic change as well. If you're a student in university or in your workplace, it's always worth seeing if there's a climate action team that you can be a part of, and if not, maybe considering speaking to some colleagues about setting one up. I find that it always feels really empowering to take action as part of a small community of people who care about these issues, and changes that you make within your workplace are so important. In terms of if you're wanting to take some time to watch some documentaries or short films, about issues around the climate crisis, social injustices and what we can do to help create a more just and sustainable future. There's an online website called Films for Action which you can find, I'll leave it in the show notes as well. And there's loads of films on there that really talk about social change and how that can be implemented and it could be a great thing to watch with family or with friends and share in your networks and just encourage a dialogue around these things and considering how The things that you learn through these can be applied in your own spheres. And for a more individual action you can take, which you may already be doing, is looking into switching your bank account and considering who your pension is with. If you're freelance like myself, it's probably likely that you have to set up your own pension. Um, But if you're employed, you have every right to ask about who your pension is with and whether it is an ethical investment. Raising that conversation and making changes can be really important as so many pensions invest in fossil fuels or in weaponry or really unethical practices. So it can make a big difference if you can move that money somewhere else. There are online websites such as Make My Money Matter and Switch It Money, which are supposed to be useful in supporting in that process of finding more ethical alternatives with who to bank with and who to get your pension with. So potentially that could be useful. And similar with energy supplies, it can be so difficult with so much greenwashing. But there's the Big Clean Switch website, which is supposed to hopefully help this be a little bit more transparent. I know it can be really difficult with energy supplies as well, uh, especially at the moment with rising prices. But also if, like myself, you're renting, you don't have as much control over who you are with, which can be very frustrating. But at this point, I would mention really focusing on the things that you can change rather than the things that you can't and just sharing this information with people who may be in a position to make a change because that's incredibly impactful too. And the last thing I wanted to mention is find a time this week if you can to go for a walk in nature or find a way to feel a bit closer to nature whether that's watching a nature documentary, giving a bit of love to any plants you might have and just finding a way for you to feel a closer connection to the natural world because I find for me it gives me such a sense of grounding and puts so many things in perspective and I'm just in awe of the natural world and I think for all of us strengthening our connection to it fundamentally means we have much more care for it as well and it can nourish us and we need to do what we can to return the nourishment it gives to us through the way that we can look after the environment around us. And before I go on to massively more rambly tangents, I'm just going to mention one more thing, uh, which is about a book that I've recently finished reading, which I just thought was such a beautiful book. It's called Emergent Strategy by Adrienne Marie Brown. And I think I will reread this book so many times. It talks so much about reshaping how we build movements for change in a form that's rooted in compassion, biomimicry, so using the incredible knowledge within nature systems to inform how we can create stronger more compassionate movements and have a more sustainable and positive relationship with the world around us 
It also has so much about imagination and the importance of envisaging better futures and giving space and time for that, as well as experiencing joy and understanding that the strength of movements really sits in the strengths of our relationships with one another. I also love the notion of both and rather than either or in this book. I think so often things are put on polarised ends, whether that's systemic or individual change, local or global action. I feel like we have a very polarised way of thinking about so many issues and actually stripping it back to thinking anything that we can do, any changes that we can make, is going to fundamentally transform society in some way. And so I just wanted to quickly read out two quotes from the book. Might be three actually. There's so many, uh, and I, like I said, I will reread this book so many times because there's just absolute gems of wisdom throughout it. And I really recommend getting a copy of the book because it's a really special one. But one of the quotes mentions how our existence is fractal. The health of the cell is the health of the species and the planet. So really emphasising that those transformations that we can make in our own thinking and how we show up in the world ultimately has an influence on bigger systems in the way that ecosystems are built up from so many micro decisions and micro actions. And leading on from this, another quote that I wanted to capture was, emergence notices the way small actions and connections create complex systems, patterns that become ecosystems and societies. It's how we intentionally change in ways that grow our capacity to embody the just and liberated worlds we long for. And then the final quote I just wanted to share. She says, I've become obsessed with how we can be movements like flocks of birds, underground power like whispering mushrooms, the seashell representation of a vision for justice, small patterns that avoid useless predation, spread lessons and proliferate change. Emergent strategies let us practice, in every possible way, the world we want to see. And that level of attentionality is something that I really find incredible. And that self-awareness in our actions and being very conscious in the choices we make will have a fundamental change on the world around us, our relationships, and that will spread into other actions in the way that networks of roots spread and all of these other connections with nature. So again, apologies for going on a bit of a ramble, but this book is such a beautiful one and I guess I've just been feeling incredibly overwhelmed and questioning and doubtful of how I can make any positive change in the world when these systems are so large and so difficult to make change within. So remembering that all of these forms of transformation, thinking of the both and and how anything we can do really does matter, especially when we show up together in community is something that I just wanted to highlight because I think sometimes you can feel very alone in caring about these issues or feel like nothing is going to change but so much is changing and we have to keep pushing for that and knowing that there's going to be so many moments of experiencing grief with the horrific destruction that's happening around the world. So again, with that both and, recognising that our grief can sit alongside our hope for the future and finding a way to allow both of them space and validating these feelings, allowing them to come up when they do and seeking support in community during those times. I think I'm going to end there before I go off on more and more tangents, but... I hope that you are looking after yourself wherever you're listening from 
and if you ever want to get in touch with me you can do so by emailing me on a little bit of largum at gmail.com or drop me a message on instagram at a little bit of largum thank you so much for listening and i'll speak to you again soon bye